The title of the talk is Has Science Buried God? And uh, generally, uh, in that kind of language, I guess, we, we, we're seeing conflict being presumed. If you bury someone, if it's my football team buried this football team, or this boxer buried them, or if you take it literally and get a fight and they end up under your patio or something, you know, apparently... That's a joke, <laughs> not from experience, but there's a conflict involved there, uh, I would imagine, when we talk about burying things or people, uh, and I think in a title like this, the fact we could put a title, Has Science Buried God, and people actually come, just to check, yeah, that is the case, uh, there is a presumption of a conflict in this area, and generally that would be how it would be seen, uh, kind of people of religious faith and people of a scientific mindset do not get on, that would be a, a general view in our society. But at Church Central, do we settle with general views? No, of course not. We want to go much more thorough than that. We want to ask real people what they really think. And so Rich has done that very thing at the esteemed Institute of Education, that is the University of Birmingham. Outside, no less than the physics department, Rich has been interviewing some people to see what they think of this potential conflict or contradiction between faith and science. Cue video. There we go. I think it depends more specifically on what aspect of science you're talking about. So obviously evolution, that, that does contradict some, some religions or where like the Big Bang Theory, that's where you have a bit of uncertainty. If you believe in something else and you believe in God, that's fine. They don't really contradict, there could be something else. Um, but I think if you're strict with the Bible and strict with the books, I think they do contradict, yeah. Darwin's theory of evolution obviously contradicts um, what's said in Genesis. Science isn't about faith. Science is you have to see the facts, you see the information and you, you draw conclusions from that. Religion is just about faith, you just accept it, which is totally, in my mind, contradictory to science. I think science, you learn something from your environment, but on the other side, faith, I think you learn something inside yourself. You, you've got the books, like Bibles, Quran and whatnot, telling people what to believe, and you, you've got to find out by yourself. Well, thank you, good people of uh, outside the physics block at UOB. Um, that is a, a, a test sample case of people's approach to this question. But you know what? We, we want to be thorough. We want to go further than that. Why leave it there? Let's also ask someone from our community in the church here. How about mm, possibly James Ashley, maybe, ladies and gentlemen. A round of applause. Yeah. Have you got that mic? Cool. Obviously completely spontaneous. I've not talked about James about this at all. James, tell us, uh, what is your relationship with science, sir? Um, so I'm currently an A-level biology teacher at a college in Birmingham. Pretty good. Um, but before that, I did a, a four-year degree here, um, um, looking at human biology. Um, I particularly did research into human evolution. Um, and yeah. Doing research sounds interesting. Um, I take it that was an MA in human evolution. MSC. An MSC. MSI. MSI. I don't even know what that means, but it has psi in it, which presumes good. And it was in human evolution, I tell you. So this is the man that we should have here. So James, you obviously have a background. You have thought about these things before. Um, how has that affected you in your faith? Have you seen how, what conflict or contradiction, as mentioned by some of these people, have you seen or not? And so I have, uh, I have amongst my kind of course mates at university and, and now colleagues at, um, at college, there is... Um, this kind of a conflict that I've been aware of in terms of people will assume that I cannot um, hold a Christian faith and, and also 
um, be a scientist. But personally, I don't have an issue. That, that hasn't been a, a conflict in my life. I personally, personally love biology um, and also love Jesus and, and f- love learning more about the human body and, and using that as personally for worship um, to God. Okay. Well, we're going to hear more from James a little bit later because he is kind of right in the niche of our interest uh, level today. But for the moment, James Ashley, thank you very much. Good job, sir. Maybe the view on the video is not entirely correct. There is some people who say science and faith conflict. Some people say uh, they don't. Some people of faith say, look, I am a person of faith. This is how this works. So how do we weave our way through this topic then? Well, I can't speak for James completely. You'll hear more from him later if you want to, because it's your questions. Uh, but I want to follow on from what he said in his position, because I want to argue today, in the next 25 minutes or so, that there is no necessary conflict between science and faith. Okay? No necessary conflict between science and faith. This fight that's going on is, is, a, is a bit of a distraction in some ways. In fact, I'd like to push that a little bit further. I'd like to argue, actually, that if we take science seriously, it would lead us closer to, not further away from, belief in God. Now, just to lay a few kind of ground rules at the beginning. I am not going to cover everything there is to say about this topic in the next 25 minutes, okay? Just in case you thought that would, is possible in 25 minutes at all, I am not going to do it, okay? And therefore, this is really, a, there'll be stuff of value, I hope, here, but this is a setup for the Q&A time at the end, so please be thinking about questions, write them down, there'll be methods we can, uh, you get them later, you'll have a couple of minutes at the end to think those things, but you get out of it what you put in, essentially, and so if you come back to me, Johnny, you didn't mention this, and you don't ask a question, I will simply say, it's your fault, in a nice and gentle way, obviously. So uh, that's, that's uh, one thing just to say. Also, particularly, and not to push the questions in a particular direction necessarily, um, if you've come here with lots of thoughts about uh, particularly the particulars of Christian theology, so how, for example, does evolution screw up with the, the accounts of Genesis, I will mention that, but I'm going to talk much more generally than that, and we can pick that up in the questions. I'm not dodging it, but I'm not going to be landing there today. My goal is simple, okay? I would like to dispel the myth that taking science seriously and believing in God, speaking quite generally in that sort of sense, are opposing conflicting uh, positions. And uh, what my aim and my goal is, I guess, uh, for some of you, because I know there are lots of people around like this, and there may well be people here today uh, like this, that would, when we, we sing, because obviously Christians, we don't just believe there's a God, full stop, that's all we believe. Okay, a number of Christians here, we're a Christian church. Okay, we believe other things, we've sung some of them, uh, that God's good, that God's loving, uh, things about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, there's particulars involved, and those are the things where, the, where that's where the, the life is, and for me as a Christian, I, I love that stuff, there's a massive benefit to me in, in those sort of ways, uh, among other things. Okay, but for many people, they wouldn't even go there, because right at the beginning, there becomes this obstacle of, but to talk about anything to do with God or the supernatural is nonsense. It's like talking about fairies. So therefore, you're listening to those songs and thinking, how could, on earth could you even think about these things? Because God himself is a nonsense. To think about God is a nonsense. I'd like to start at the beginning and simply address the beginning. And I want to argue that actually, no, uh, if we take the science seriously, it opens the door. I want to crack the door ajar for some of you to say, actually, it is reasonable to believe in a God. It's reasonable to talk of a spiritual reality. And therefore, then, from there, how does that affect your thinking uh, of the world? Okay? And how I want to do that is I would like simply, it's a very simple method, I want to take three areas of commonly perceived conflict between science and faith. And I would like to argue that those things are not as conflicting as many would have us believe. Okay. Is everyone all right? Does that sound okay? Makes sense. Good. This thing still might go up and down, which will be comic 
uh, as we go along. Okay, that'll be fine. Um, first area is in the area of methodology. Okay, and uh, methodology by methodology, I mean how we uh, work out what is true about the world. And I think that in this area, though it's not as famous as the others, maybe for conflict. This is probably the fundamental area of conflict between science and religion. And our lab-coated friend, uh, who was well done, Rich, the perfect person for that video, not just saying some certain things, but in a lab coat. We didn't set it up, we didn't, did we? Honest. He promised. Okay. I, I take him. That's 50%. That's true. I'm being cruel to you today, Rich. Sorry. Uh, that is definitely the case. He was very helpful for us. And he said this. He said, if you remember, science is about facts, information, and you draw the conclusion from them. That's science over here. Religion is just about faith. You just accept it. Okay? You see the picture? Very taking uh, a lead in the popular imagination would be from uh, uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, the famous evolutionary biologist and Oxford professor. Richard Dawkins would have defined faith, and many people would go with this definition, maybe you would hear up to this point, that faith is believing something without any evidence. Definition of faith, okay? I think there was a guffaw there, or maybe a snort or a cough, I don't know. But anyway, um, that's Dawkins' definition. So, therefore, general picture, let's think of it. Science over here about evidence with no room for faith. That's what science is. And over here, religious faith is all about believing things with no consideration of the evidence at all. If you think that's the case, those things will definitely be in conflict. So just to be clear, I'm not saying there's no conflict there. There would be. By definition, there would be a conflict. However, I don't want to be too harsh, but I would say that those... that. That kind of picture, while very popular, is an incredibly uninformed way of looking at either side of the discussion. Let's start with religion and religious people and spiritual people, people of faith, or whatever you want to call them. Um, just to be clear, there are obviously religious people in the world, many of them would be Christians, who would not pay much attention to the evidence. Of course they would, okay? There would be many people like that, I, I assume. Uh, I would say if that was the case, if I was to talk to you and you say, yes, I believe a load of things, say, what's the evidence for those? And you go, I don't know. You know, someone told me once, it makes my life happy, that's how I wish the world would be. I wouldn't talk of faith, I'd be talking of superstition about those sort of beliefs, okay? But I want to be very clear, uh, those aren't the sort of uh, people of faith that I would know. Uh, I could say, I, I think, rifling through my mind and as I prepared this, most of the people of faith, most of the Christians I know, and for myself as well, we aim to take the evidence very seriously indeed. We want to have a faith that is based on the evidence, rather than a superstition that disregards it. So I think the picture of religious faith is a little bit flawed. What about the picture of science, though? This is interesting, this one, because this isn't so commonly seen. But this picture of science being a realm where it's all about evidence and there's no room for faith, well, that's not correct either. Obviously, evidence is very important for people of a scientific mindset, and rightly so. But it's not true to say that scientists only believe things that are directly testable in a laboratory or under a microscope. I recognise that scientists wouldn't tend to talk like this, but they, scientists would definitely rely on something that very much looks like faith, whether they admit it or not. Now, I want to give you an example uh, to tell you what I mean, okay? And it's uh, an example from... It was in the news a lot, a while ago, not so much now, but it involves something called the Higgs boson particle. Am I seeing blank looks, or do people know what I mean? Have you heard of the Higgs boson particle? Right, yeah, okay. A few, but maybe 60%. You know. If you haven't, don't worry. You will have heard more than enough about it by the end of this talk. Okay? Okay. On the 4th of July 2012, for the first time in human history, uh, scientists made the formal discovery of the Higgs boson particle. And it was the first time that anyone had even claimed to have had direct experience of this through observation of this particle. Right. Now, with that said, 
it certainly would not be true to say that that was the first time anyone took the Higgs boson particle seriously. In fact, 50 years before, a guy called Peter Higgs, you might spot a link with the name uh, there, uh, proposed this particle for the first time. Okay? And he proposed it, uh, not because he'd got any evidence, direct evidence of observation of the Higgs boson particle, but because he proposed it in an attempt to explain the origin of mass. And uh, basically, it kind of went like this. Uh, and it was just accepted in the scientific community very, very early on. and said, yeah, Higgs boson particle, we think that exists. We will work on that kind of uh, supposition. And the, the thought went like this. If there was no Higgs boson particle, it would have meant that the entire standard model of physics was wrong. And therefore, for serious practice to continue in the field of physics, which whatever you feel about physics and whatever you feel about school, it's probably a good idea that it does, okay? Still, if you want to go to the doctors at any point and have a, a remedy, okay? Um, for that to happen, it had to be assumed, the standard model held, so it had to be assumed that the Higgs boson particle uh, existed. And therefore, physicists proceed, proceeded for many years, assuming that this particle existed with no direct evidence of its existence, okay? Alistair McGrath, the Oxford professor, uh, quote will come up here. He, he said this about this. This was before the discovery, by the way, just so you know. The reason why the Higgs boson is taken so seriously in science is not because its existence has been proved, but because it makes so much sense of observations that its existence seems assured. In other words, its power to explain is seen as an indicator of its truth. Last sentence again, very important. Its power to explain is seen as an indicator of its truth. That all seems to make sense, I think. It all seems to hold together. However, surely you can see here that there is a significant blurring between traditional models of faith and reason going on here. I'd say, actually, more than that. I think in this case, we see from the realms of science an excellent picture of how religious faith operates. The two aren't distinct. They're almost identical. For me personally, as a Christian, one of the reasons why I believe in God is that because if he doesn't exist, many crucial elements of life don't make sense. By crucial elements of life, what do I mean? I mean, what it feels like to be a human being, but also how we can understand the world around us. But that's slightly briefer. If God exists, life makes sense. If he doesn't, it doesn't. And in a sense, I believe in God, at least partly because of his explanatory power. Exactly the same why physicists believed in the Higgs boson particle for over 50 years. But obviously the question that that would raise is, well, what elements of the world uh, would then God help us explain in that sort of sense? Which moves on to the second presumed area of conflict. And that is, uh, there's conflict presumed in the area of methodology, how we see the world, but also in the area of specific beliefs about the origins of things. So second uh, area of presumed conflict is origins. I came across this area quite, uh, uh, in a quite obvious way recently when I was having dinner with a friend and uh, she noticed that the conversation was veering dangerously close to religion. Okay? Just, sometimes that happens with me. Uh, you know, that, that may happen. And she, noticed, she clocked it. She telegraphed where it was going. Okay? I wasn't being very subtle. And uh, she, she decided, today's not the day for this. I'm not up for this conversation. So I thought, I'm going to cut this off at the pass. And this is how she did it. It was very effective. She said, Johnny, stop. I know where this is going. Let's get the, one thing clear. You believe in God, I believe in the Big Bang. And we talked about something else. It worked. Okay? I took the hint in, in that sort of sense. Now, what was she saying? What was her point? Well, I think her point was this. She was following a very popular belief. She was following the belief that says, well, when we talk about origins, the God way explains the origins of the universe as God, funnily enough. 
The science way explains the origins of the universe as the Big Bang, and those two conclusions are mutually exclusive. You can't have both. You have one or the other, to such a point that if you have one, you can't even speak coherently to someone from the other view. That's how different they are. Again, in our video, one of the guys, at least one of them, pointed this out, said the Big Bang Theory, that's a problem for some religious people, isn't it? Again, not wanting to sound like a broken record already, but while this is a popular view, it is a completely flawed way of looking at things. And this may sound very contrary, what I'm about to say, and I will have to back it up. Uh, I hope I'll be able to talk you around on this one. But I'd say that not only is it not the case that these things are in conflict, but the Big Bang Theory itself is actually a strong argument for the existence of God. And it is seen that way within the scientific community. Recognise that's a big one. I've set the bar high there. So let me explain what I mean. Now, first things first, uh, for those of you who are thinking of Sheldon and things like that, let's work out what the Big Bang Theory actually is. Okay? The Big Bang Theory states that at, at some point in the distant past, probably about 13.8 billion years ago, it is thought, all the matter in the universe was compacted into one tiny point, and then it exploded. And the universe began. Clock that last word, because that's very important, the word began, because that's where I think we need to rest uh, for a few minutes. You see, this theory was not the first time any... When they came up with this, it was the 1920s, they came up with this uh, theory. Um, and it wasn't the first time anyone had ever thought about the nature of the universe, funnily enough. Was, there was another theory that people had at that time, which the Big Bang Theory quickly replaced. Okay? That theory uh, on the nature of the universe was called the steady-state theory. And the steady-state theory basically says that the universe is in a steady state wherever you go in the universe, and importantly also, whenever you go there, in whichever time. And what that means is the universe, according to steady-state theory, would be largely self-contained, and therefore we don't need to think in terms of the beginning or the end of the universe. You just In that theory, it's not necessarily saying there isn't a God, it's just saying that that's not really in the picture. You don't need a beginning or an end, you don't need to think about things like that. Okay? The Big Bang changed all of that, okay? Hubble, with his telescope in 1929, saw the universe was expanding. George Lemaitre put it down into a theory. Very quickly, the scientific community said, yes, on the basis of what we see, the Big Bang theory looks much better than the steady-state theory. And this thing was sneaked in that wasn't there before, that for all of us, I imagine, living in a world where the Big Bang theory has always been the only way people talk about the beginning of the universe, we don't notice it, but it's smuggled in a beginning. And that is incredibly important, one of the people to exploit uh, this interest most is a philosopher called William Lane Craig. Okay? So we've been in science land for a while. We will be back there again. So if, if you're feeling overwhelmed by that, sorry. But I'm going to bring you into philosophy land over here. Okay? Just be, be trying to be thorough. I did say that before. But don't worry. I'll talk you through it. Okay? Philosophers. Any philosophers in here? Any philosophy degree people? Well, I can say what I want then. None of you will know. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, trust me on this one. Uh, a philosopher, a famous philosopher called William Lane Craig come, came up with an argument about this. Now, philosophical arguments, I'm hardly struggling to say the word, which doesn't bode particularly well, but philosophical arguments are based like this. This is how they work. You have a series of statements, let's say three. The first two being, it doesn't have to be three, could be a number, any number, but would be what called the premises. Okay? The third, or the final one, would be the conclusion. And for the argument to hold, the premises must be, firstly, true, and secondly, the conclusion must follow logically from the premises. Have I lost anyone? So, okay. Good. This is not going to be postgraduate. We're all right. Okay. Um, this is Craig's argument. Very simple. Premise one. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. Run that around in your brain for a minute. Can you think of anything that began that didn't have a cause? Okay? He'd say, no, you can't. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. Premise two, the universe has a beginning. 
Well, if you argue with that, you just go back to the prevailing cosmological theory, the Big Bang, which seems to suggest that. Premise two, the conclusion follows, therefore the universe has a cause. Now, I'm sure you can see that it's a hair's breadth away from concluding the universe has a cause to then starting, starting talking about beings like God, a cause external and different to the universe. That's certainly how William Lane Craig would see it. I understand some of you might say, yes, but I bet you William Lane Craig's a Christian, isn't he, Johnny? And you know what? You'd be right. He is a Christian. And uh, you know that I'm a Christian, and so obviously I'm going to spot that here. But is this really here, or is it you just reading something into it? Well, interestingly, this is noticed not just by Christians, but by atheists as well, and has been for many years. So let's use an extreme example. In the Soviet Union under Stalin and China under Chairman Mao, two uh, communist regimes that would have been quite, uh, would be very atheist in their outlook, uh, the Big Bang Theory was dismissed for many years as pseudoscience, and the reason was ideological, not based on evidence. Okay? The chief spokesman for Stalin's regime, he attributed the Big Bang Theory to, I quote, it will come up here, it's just there, uh, falsifiers of science who wanted to revive the fairy tale of the origin of the world from nothing. Another failure of the theory in question consists in the fact that it brings us to the idealistic attitude of assuming the world to be finite. I just love the way, if you ever want to just cast aspersions on something, you just put it in like speech, like, the theory in question. Yeah, it is a theory. I don't know what those are there for. I don't think I miscopied, uh, miss, uh, but anyway. Uh, so that was um, the, the, the chief spokesman for Stalin's regime. Very clear what, where he's coming from. Understanding the Big Bang Theory, it doesn't squeeze God out. It actually lets him back in again, and they weren't very keen on that. But it's actually from the scientific community itself that we see the Big Bang theories threat to atheism most clearly. Okay? Now, interestingly, since the beginning uh, of when the Big Bang Theory became popular, uh, there have been many attempts uh, to come up with competing uh, theories on cosmology, on the nature of the universe, to get away from this awkward thing of having a beginning, having a singularity, having a start of things. Okay? Now, just to say, straight away, I need to say this, that's not bad, that's not silly, that's good science. That's how science works. You have a theory, and you test the theory by putting up new theories and seeing if they can knock that theory off the top. And if they do, it wins, you know? But the thing that's interesting here is usually when someone comes along with a new theory, it's because of a problem with this theory or because they've got a better evidence base for theory B that wants to knock off theory A. In many cases, with the competing theories to the Big Bang, that's just not the case. Why are these other theories being suggested? Even the scientists involved say, I am suggesting this theory because I'm an atheist and I don't want this theory to be true. For example, Fred Hoyle, who is a brilliant astronomer, and cosmology. He's a good guy. He really furthered our understanding of all sorts of elements uh, of our understanding uh, in science. Uh, good guy, good scientist. But he was a strong opponent of the Big Bang Theory until he died in 2001. Why? Why was he? What new evidence did he have? What problems did he have with the Big Bang Theory? Well, he had one problem with it, actually. The problem was this, and he was quite candid about this. He was an atheist, and he didn't like the idea that this theory seemed to poke towards a beginning and therefore open the door to a creator. And so he spent a lot of his scientific career uh, trying to revive the steady-state theory. And the consensus of scientific opinion up until and following his death has been he failed in that regard. So does the Big Bang Theory conflict with religious accounts of the origins of the universe? No. In fact, this theory seems to point towards a belief in a creator who's outside of our universe. Okay, that's the second one. Final uh, point of potential conflict is in the complexity of the universe. Okay? It's not just that uh, Christians believe in a universe, that God made a universe. He believes God made this universe with the peculiarities that it has, with the complexity that we uh, see very clearly embedded into the, the world we live in. 
And uh, this is probably the area of conflict that most people uh, talk about. Okay? Now, let's think of it two ways. The God way of looking at it, the science way of looking at it. The God way, while it would have some more bells on than this, if you ask a, a God person, a person of faith, a Christian, for example, uh, how is there so much complexity in the universe? Essentially, they would come to the answer, God made it like that. Okay, like I said, slightly more to be said about that in different ways, but they're going to come to there sooner or later, and that's a reasonably powerful explanatory uh, statement for that for the complexity of the universe. Okay, and for many millennia, uh, there didn't seem like many particularly coherent alternatives to that option. People might not have liked that a whole lot, but it wasn't like, well, I can think of this or this. But that all, of course, changed in the 19th century uh, when a guy called Charles Darwin came along and published his book, Origin of the Species, uh, all about the theory of evolution by natural selection. And I'm sure uh, for most of us, if not all of us here, we would be very familiar with that name and probably shadows, at least, of that work. Okay? However, it's really important that we, we're clear here what that phrase, evolution by natural selection, actually means. Okay? Because that term is so loaded in some people's minds, it really, as I'll say in a minute, goes off the remit of what it should be talking about. What is the theory of evolution by natural selection? Well, this is the theory that seeks to explain the huge diversity of life that we see around us in the world today. Okay? And uh, it, it basically goes like this, that, that uh, living d- things develop in this sort of way, that there are beneficial mutations in life forms, and those beneficial mutations that come along every now and again, they're preserved if they help their carriers survive and reproduce. Okay? And therefore, what happens over time, over a long period of time, uh, individuals become better suited to their surroundings and environments, species improve, they become more complex, and there's actually no need to suggest a designer made them like that. Uh, you don't need God in this mix. Now, the process of evolution does all the work. Okay? That's the, that is the theory of evolution by natural selection. And so uh, it said then, well, science has solved the problem of complexity of the universe. Why bother resorting to talking about God anymore? Then it's, it's toppled him off. It's beaten him in this imaginary fight we've got going on. Now, I don't, I'm not arguing here. I would, I'd be stupid to argue that, this, uh, that Darwin's work and evolution has never caused conflicts among people of faith, Christians particularly, uh, and scientists. Of course it has. That happens uh, across the board now, and it would happen in history. Maybe not as much as people think, but it has happened, and it does happen. My question is not, has there ever been conflict? Is, is that conflict necessary? Now, what I find fascinating about this is if we take the broad approach I've been taking now of just, is there a God? Actually, evolution has nothing and could have nothing to say at all about that question, whatever the polemicists of evolution would say on this, because they do say, uh, at least they give that implication quite a lot. It's commonly thought when people talk about evolution, they use that word in a way that would seem to suggest a theory that does not just explain how a giraffe's neck got longer or how different species evolved, but even start talking about how life first appeared on planet Earth or even sometimes how the planets and galaxies are formed. Now, can I be really clear about this? The theory of evolution by natural selection does not have anything to say about how life started or anything to do with the formation of planets and that sort of stuff. That's, that's not in its remit. That's not what it, it claims to do and that's not what it could ever do. Things like how life started and how the universe began are completely outside of the remit of evolutionary theory. I just imagine, just a very simple scenario, surely it would be possible that a god could uh, create things, be active in creation, and use uh, evolution by natural selection as the mechanics of how he got complexity and diversity into, uh, into 
world. I mean, that would be completely possible, and evolution could say nothing about whether that's true or false. It's just not what it does. Now, I recognise that things could become slightly trickier, however, when we go from general comments about a God being out there somewhere and we hone down into a specific religious system. For example, Christianity, which seems fitting to talk about uh, here today. Okay, because when it comes, and someone commented on the video on this, when it comes to religious texts and taking religion seriously with the books, I think someone said, well, obviously evolution uh, conflicts with what the Bible says about how God created the earth. Now, if you'd like to explore this more further, as I said at the beginning, uh, Questions are for you, and we would love to explore this if, if necessary. However, I just want to make one simple point on this now. Uh, I think it's an important point to make, is that not all Christians would even see a conflict here. So, for example, James didn't seem overly bothered, having studied human evolution, to say, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus 100%, was what he said. That seems pretty, you know, he seems reasonably not, not kind of lukewarm in that regard, okay? He's quite fond of the Bible as well, as far as I'm aware, James. Yeah, I think that's the case. For me personally... I believe that the Bible is God's infallible word. I know that if you're a guest here, that kind of view of, whoa, that's probably very different to where you're sitting right now. But I would say, I've got a very high view of the Bible, but for me, generally, I would also have a generally warm attitude to the theory of evolution by natural selection. So all I'm saying is, please pick this up later, is if you're thinking today, it's evolution or Jesus, take your pick, you can't have both, I'd want to say, well, actually... I know lots of Christians who have both. In fact, I'd probably say largely of the Christians I know, most of the Christians I know would have both, and I kind of have both. So I wouldn't want you to feel you have to make that sort of choice. Okay? Cue potential questions later. Let's go out again as we we close that. I want to make one more comment about the complexity uh, of the universe. Because there's another point to drive home here that's really important. In In the last half a century... Scientists in almost every field have stumbled upon evidence that points towards complexities in the universe that evolution could say nothing about and lead us potentially back again to thinking about a designer. And these are often in a realm called fine-tuning. Now, I'm going to go over this so quickly, you might miss it, and you won't lose a whole lot if you do, but this might be important for some of you, and please again pick it up later if you want to. Okay? What do I mean by fine-tuning? Well, physicist Paul Davis asserted this, that there is now broad agreement among physicists and cosmologists that the universe is in several respects fine-tuned for life. What does he mean? Well, Stephen Hawking puts it in a slightly different way. The laws of science, as we know them at present, contain many fundamental numbers, like the size of the electric charge of the electron and the ratio of the masses of the proton and the electron. The remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. Okay, what does he mean? Well, let's put it pictorially. This could help us. Let's imagine that at the time of the Big Bang, there are a number of dials that set the, uh, the way that the, the bang explodes, okay? or the, how big the bang is, or something like that. And uh, those dials all have to be set to exactly the same level for that Big Bang to create a universe that at any point could sustain life. Okay? Now, some scientists talk, if we're thinking of dials, of six dials, some talk of more. Uh, but I just want to mention two to you, because it will make the point. Okay? Um, one of those dials would be what we call the gravitational constant, okay? and that would determine how the force of gravity works in this universe that's about to be big banged right okay now the force of gravity is determined by the gravitational constant and if that constant varied by just one in the 10 with 60 noughts after it okay there would have been no stars no planets and no life in this universe it's a big deal okay we're not just talking about dials which are like one to ten or even eleven like no that's one with 60 noughts after it either way 
but you have to have that for all the dials. Second, second one you could think of is uh, the cosmological constant. That measures the expansion rate of the universe. A change in the value of that one by one part in 10 with 120 noughts after it, either way would have again meant no life in the universe. What do we take from these enormous numbers? Well, I think I could probably drive this point a bit harder than I'm about to with those sort of numbers involved. But I think at the absolute very least of what we can say is surely with that sort of, uh, those sort of things out there is we really should be actively on the lookout for an alternative explanation to the origin of the universe than random chance. That's not cuckoo. That's not talking crazy like I believe in leprechauns. That makes sense. We should take very seriously the possibility, dare I say it, likelihood, simply from looking at the science, that there's a designer from outside the system, someone that fine-tuned it, that set those dials on purpose, there might just be a god after all. So in short, once again, when we consider the complexity of the universe, God and science don't give conflicting answers. I would say they point in exactly the same uh, direction. Let's end this uh, where we started off. Do you remember our little friend, the cheeky little scamp, the Higgs boson particle, and that guy? Ages ago. Let's go back to him again to finish because I skated over something important about the Higgs boson particle, although I mentioned it. I talked about it before it was discovered, but of course, as I mentioned, it has been discovered in 2012. The formal discovery was made with much whooping and jubilation in the scientific community. And actually, I think that as the postulation of the Higgs boson particle gives us a helpful picture of religious faith, I think that its discovery helps us to see how to proceed on the basis of faith as well. You see, what I mean is this, is that many people claim that a sensible way to approach the big questions of life is a passive agnosticism. And by that I mean, they think, well, there's lots of different answers over here and lots of different answers over here. No one seems to agree, no way we can know. So let's just, let's just sit on the fence. Let's just sit in the middle and not really commit ourselves to either way. Suspend judgment, live our lives the best we can. Okay? And I can understand why people think that seems like a reasonably sensible way to go. But think about this for a second. What would have happened if they'd taken that principle and applied it in the scientific community? Imagine they said, we will only invest money and resources into things we can prove exist in that sort of way. I think the least we could say is that normal science in the field of physics from the 1960s would have stopped. Because they had no evidential basis for a key component in the standard model of physics. They couldn't know it was correct. More practically, more up-to-date, it would have meant that about seven or eight years ago, nobody in their right mind would have stumped up £2.6 billion for the Large Hadron Collider based in Kern, Switzerland, which, as some of you may know, was, was made, put together at that great expense to find the Higgs boson particle, which it did. Listen, science is not passively agnostic about its faith commitments. It follows them through, and that's how it makes discoveries. And that's, of course, in the Higgs boson boson particle, but also other cases too. But think about that for a moment for us. They would never have discovered that particle if they'd not done two things. If they'd not, A, believed in its existence, and B, lived out that belief and faith by proceeding on the assumption of its existence. I wonder, and I want to put this question to you before we break and then go into questions, if life's the same. If we really want to find out what life really is actually like, not just the kind of what colour a floor is or the trees exist, but big questions, the quick question we're talking about today, perhaps we need to take steps of faith. Not massive leaps of superstition, but reasonable steps of faith, one after another. And only after we've done that will data about the unseen elements of existence, the supernatural, maybe even about God himself, make themselves clear to us. 
That faith is important in the journey. It's, it's the case in science, how they make discoveries. I wonder if the same is true uh, for us. And so to finish, I want to offer you a challenge. If I've convinced you, or you've thought from other places, that belief in God is reasonable, then it would be very reasonable for you to follow that through by asking, what is that God like? And Rich might well have some uh, opportunities if you do that very thing in a few minutes. But that's me done.